0: psalm 51 to the chief musician a psalm of david when nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to bathsheba verse 1 have mercy upon me o god according to thy loving kindness according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which gives us a pattern and a paradigm of everlasting life and of keeping your commandments. We thank you that you have given us words with which we may go to you and confess our sins and acknowledge them. So, God, impress these words upon our hearts, fill us with your spirit, and give us the joy of your salvation, that we may sing of your praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We'll conclude this evening our consideration of question 98 of the Shorter Catechism. What is prayer? Concerning the nature of prayer. Last couple of studies we looked at Psalm 62 that prayer is to be offered as our desires to God himself. We saw in the next study in John 14 that we were to pray through Jesus Christ in his name according to his will things agreeable to his will. And now we look at the confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Note there in the inscription before the Psalm, it says to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Now this rebuke for David's sins and David's call to repentance was issued in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The prophet Nathan speaking in God's name. After he had gone in to Bathsheba, it says. Now, this is a euphemism. That's something that sounds better than the plain statement of the case. He had violated the seventh commandment. And this euphemism, going in unto her, it describes that very thing. And he doesn't even mention the other crimes, though David does in this psalm. Other crimes that he sought to cover his initial crime with these subsequent crimes. Augustine notes that many will fall with David and will not rise with David. Not then for falling is David an example set forth, but if you have fallen, he's an example of rising again. That's what the Psalm is all about. Not to encourage us to follow him in his sin, but an encouragement when we have sinned to follow him In his repentance note verse 1 have mercy upon me O God according to thy loving kindness he does not plead according to my worth to my works to my merits but show grace according to thy faithfulness to promise the word have mercy means to show me your grace it's where we get the name Hannah from means God's gift or grace. So, God, show me grace, not in accordance with what I deserve, but according to thy loving kindness, chesed, your loyalty to your word of promise. When you make an oath, you keep it. You're faithful. According to that faithfulness, God, have mercy upon me. And then he says, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, not merit, but mercies. Now, the word for tender mercies is the word for the womb where a baby resides. The compassion a mother is moved with toward the baby in her womb. Is like God's compassion toward us his bowels are moved as a mother yearns over her infant so here God yearns over his people and he says God according to that compassion that you have blot out my transgressions now God's compassion God's bowels God's tender mercies are multitudinous he says many unfailing, like a treasure chest that never runs out of gold, God's compassion, God's mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Now in the ancient world, they didn't necessarily have erasers. We have pencils. You can write something and you can erase it. In the ancient world, if you wanted to get rid of something so that it didn't stand in your book of ledgers any longer, what would you do? You'd blot it out, cross it over. And it's done. It's not on the books anymore, in other words. God has a book in which he keeps a record of all the evils that are done. What's he asking God to do with that book? Blot out my transgressions, my rebellions. That's what it means. Where I cast off my subordination, my allegiance to you, God, my king. I fought against you by breaking your holy commandments. What do I deserve Death. So, God, in order to save me from blood guiltiness, blot out my rebellions. That's what He's asking. This book of remembrance which you keep, Lord, blot out my transgressions. I note then this doctrine. Our forgiveness and acceptance with God is all of His grace. Our forgiveness and acceptance with God is all of his grace. It's all according to God's loving kindness. It's all according to the multitude of his bowels, of his mercies, of his tender compassion. That's it. That's all David can plead. An explanation you'll recall in other Psalms. You know what David asked God to do? Reward me according to my righteousness. Do you know why? Why? because he's comparing himself with Saul. If you want to bring evidence between David and Saul, between his adversaries who hunt him down to death, and him who was the faithfulest servant Saul ever had, who's justified in that case? What do the facts say? What should the judge say? And those other Psalms, he's saying that very thing. God, justify me and condemn Saul. That's what he's saying. But now where is he? He's before God's courtroom. Against thee, the only, have I done this evil, as we'll consider. And so what can he plead before God? What can he ask God in his courtroom to do for him? Mercy. mercy, that's it. Grace, bowels of compassion that are multitudinous, blotting out all my rebellion and all of my transgressions. That's all he can ask. He cannot plead his merit. He implores mercy. To be had in accordance with God's chesed, his loyalty to his promises, his loving kindnesses, his final judgment in this courtroom will be according to God's tender mercies. God the judge will blot out those crimes out of his book. Let us then in exhortation not hope in our merits, but in God's mercies. Let us plead in prayer the precious promises of God, that precious blood of the Lamb of God, God's faithfulness to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us plead the great bowels of compassion that are multitudinous so that God would blot out our lawless ways. Then notice verse 2 Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Now the English Bible has the words wash me throughly and here in the Hebrew it's a very complicated phrase it just means to multiply something and then multiply it again. Keep on multiplying washings. What kind of washings did they have in the law? Well there were occasional sprinklings they would have. The priests would wash themselves when they go into the temple At one point, when they entered into covenant with God, they were sprinkled with blood and washed. There were various washings in the law. These were not good enough, is what he's saying. I need a multiplied, greatly multiplied washing. Keep on washing me, God. No mere legal washings will suffice for my lawless ways. I need a greater font than an external one. And then he asks, cleanse me from my sin. Sin makes us defiled. It corrupts us, degrades us. We must be cleansed, washed, or made pure. Not only must the record on the books be blotted out, but I myself, he says, require cleansing, and my sins and my iniquities must be Washed. I must be washed. I must be cleansed. My record must be cleansed. Notice verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions. This word acknowledge means to know or to even confess. I'm not going to seek to suppress the knowledge of my sin as if I didn't know about it. That's what he was doing. He pretended not to know, he turned a blind eye to his own sin. He might have even justified himself. Well, look, she tempted me. Uriah was a foreigner. You know, what? the sword kills one as well as another. Remember he said that about Uriah? Oh, well, that's the way things go. Justifying his sin. Now he no longer seeks to justify. He no longer seeks an apology. He no longer seeks a refuge, a covering for his sins. Now he acknowledges it. He confesses it. And furthermore, it's not merely a set of words that he uses. It's that his sin is ever before him, he says in verse 3. I used to bury in oblivion. I used to suppress and seek to forget. But now, ever since Nathan confronted me, it's always present to my mind. You know what he doesn't say? My misery is always before me. That's what we usually feel. We feel the pain of the sting of our evil deeds, and it hurts. What hurt David? My sin is ever before me. My violation of your holy law and defaming your name, that's what hurts. That's what I remember. It was ever present to his mind, not the misery that follows upon his sin, not the punishment in the death of my child, in the rebellion in my household, in the sword never departing. That's not consuming his thoughts. His sin is consuming his thoughts. I note then this doctrine, one part of prayer is the confession of our sins. Remember, this is David talking to God. He's praying to God in the form of a song. One part of prayer is the confession of of our sins we want to commune with God we want to draw near to God we want him to draw near to us but God is holy and when we cling to our unholy deeds do you think he wants us to come near to him no he says confess your sin forsake your sin if I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear Here, David confesses his sins so that his record and his heart might be purified. This book of God must have his transgressions blotted out and we ourselves must be made clean. Let us learn to confess our sins to God. Let us learn to acknowledge our transgressions to him. Let us keep our sin before us lest we be puffed up as David was. And in his prosperity, what did he do? Covered over his sins. He wasn't out fighting the battles of God. He didn't need to anymore. He was prosperous. He was happy. He was living the good life. The lust of the eyes, the lust of his flesh, the pride of his life, snared David. But now, notice, his sin is before him and so let us, Keep our sin before us, lest we be puffed up, lest we cover over our sins and our soul's prosperity vanish away. Verse four. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Notice here. Just like we saw in the book of First John, Do you remember where it said that let us not love in word or in tongue? But it meant don't just do that. Well, here, when you consider what sort of sins did David commit? Well, he committed all sorts of sins against people, didn't he? But he says, the only party I've offended is God himself. Against thee, thee only have I done this evil in thy sight. John Diodati notes... An offense towards men being nothing compared to an offense towards God whose right is violated in every sin. So here he's giving a comparative. If I say I've sinned against Uriah and I compare that with the sin against God in that sin against Uriah, God is the offended party. He is the greater offended party. He is the one whose right is violated in every sin that's what he means in comparison to the rights of men and the rights of God the rights of men are as nothing they are to be forgotten but when we sin against people that does mean that does not mean we should not confess our sins it just means when we think of it properly here David coming before the courtroom of God what's he going to say well I should apologize to these people well yes he should but not in God's courtroom you ask God to forgive you You ask men to forgive you to their face, and here he's before the face of God. And why does he confess and acknowledge his sin against God? Notice, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Is David going to complain at the judgment of God? In the death of his child, does he complain? When the sword will not depart from his house? Do you remember when David was ascending out of Jerusalem And there was a man who came forth and cast stones at him and threw dust in the air. And the soldiers said to David, you want us to go kill him? Take care of him like that. He's done. We'll get rid of this scallywag. You know what he said? God sent him to curse me. Maybe there's something he's saying that I need to hear. He's not complaining about the judgments of God against him because he understands God was justified when he declared that. When the evidence was stacked up of what I did and God made a judgment against me, God was very merciful to me. I deserved to die. And what did God say through Nathan? God hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Did he deserve to die? You bet he did. God said, I'm sparing you because I'm going to bring good out of the evil that you've done. I'm going to bring my son out of this. God was justified when he was there in the courtroom with David. Whose evidence stacked up? Well, obviously God wins. God is justified. His judgments were merciful. And note, if we don't confess our sins to God himself, what are we saying? Well, you're not right, God. No. If we say that we have not sinned, what do we make God out to be? A liar. 1 John 1.10. So in order to justify God, we must confess our sins. I note then this doctrine that ultimately God is the injured party in every sin. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Ultimately God is the injured party in every sin. Do you know what the problem with psychology is? Well, there are several. Let me just give you one. People see their sins, first of all, not as sins, problem number one. Problem number two, they just see this sphere going out toward other human beings. That's it. Do you know what God wants us to do primarily with our sins? see them theologically, with reference to him, to see them pointed up toward heaven as offenses against him. That's what he wants us to see about our sins first. Now, does he also want us to see the horizontal in other humans? Of course he does. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed, he says. But ultimately, God wants us to see our sins theologically not merely as an impact or an injury upon the creature, but detracting from the glory of the creator. Let us learn to confess our sins directly to God. So David teaches us. He shows us what sort of confessions ought we to make. Note there in verse five, he confesses his original sin. Verse six, his lack of inner wisdom. Verse 7, he asks for purgation, for washing again. Verse 8, he requests joy and gladness. Verse 9, a second request for pardon and blotting out of iniquities. Verse 10, he asks for a clean heart. Verse 11, he asks for God to keep his presence and spirit with him. Verse 12, he asks for the joy of God's salvation. In verse 13, he resolves to teach sinners God's ways of pardon and grace. Then notice verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Here notice, snatch me away, deliver me from blood guiltiness, the guilt of death. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Those that commit adultery, their blood shall be upon them. Blood, guiltiness. He had caused others to die in the battle who went forward with Uriah the Hittite. He was guilty of their blood too. Snatch me away, he prays, thou God of my salvation. There is no other savior. If I will be saved, you must do it, God. You're the only one. And then what? My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Thanksgiving will fill my mouth. I will recall that God's righteousness is what saves and not man's. Now notice. If he's speaking of God's natural attribute of righteousness, that means that God renders to everyone what is their due? What is the due to David? Well, he deserves death, right? He deserves damnation and judgment. When David's going to sing of the righteousness of God, he's not singing of God's natural attribute. You know what he's singing about? Gospel righteousness. That there is forgiveness with God by covenant, Because he has appointed a cleansing sacrifice, a fountain that the other psalms will sing of, where sins may be washed away as with a flood. That's the righteousness of God that he's singing about. God, my deliverer, God who snatches me from the guilt of death, You are the God who saves no other Savior, and then I will give thanks to you for that gospel righteousness by which I have everlasting life. I will recall that your righteousness is what saves me, God, not my own, not other men's, but thy righteousness. Verse 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise why does he request his lips to be opened you know what David wouldn't do for that whole let's say it's a year what would he not do he would not he wouldn't confess his sins sealed like the grave so now God open my lips you know what else causes people to clam up shame Shame of sin after Nathan comes in and points out, and even before then, his own shame beating him down to the ground, oppressing his body, as we see elsewhere in the Psalms, Psalm 32. His moisture dried up like the drought of summer. Why? Because he would not confess his sins. Guilt, shame, and his justification of himself. Now, God, open my lips, and what will happen? Will I start singing my own praises? And how wonderful I am, how strong of a believer I am, how great my righteousness is, no. My mouth shall show forth thy praise, lifting up the name of God, the greatness of God's grace and mercy, the freeness of his forgiveness, the relief in confessing my sins, God delivering and snatching me from blood guilt, All that punishment, which I so richly deserve, I will praise God who has taken that away. I note then this doctrine. One part of prayer is thankful acknowledgement of God's mercies. That is exactly what David is saying. I will thankfully acknowledge your righteousness in the gospel, your salvation as my God of salvation, that your praise is to be lifted up, you who know that I deserve death and gave me life. David needed mercy. So do we. David needed pardon. So do we. David needed cleansing, as do we. David needed those rebellions and lawless ways blotted out from that book to be purged by God, to be given wisdom from God, and so much more. And God, of his great bowels of compassion, as a mother yearns over the child of her womb, God washed him with better rites than the mere external washings of the law or even of the gospel. We have external washing, don't we? But God washes with a better font than even the baptismal font. The God of his salvation gave to him the forgiveness of his sins. And so he praised God and gave thanks to the Lord for all of his great wonders. In exhortation, then, let us praise and thank God for his mercies. Let us recall in our prayers how great his promises are, how faithful he has been to those promises. To David, God said, Your son, David, will be my son. I will call him my son. Furthermore, God promised to build a house for the son of David and that that house would go on forevermore. Was God faithful to those promises? Yea and Amen. God sent his son. God has given us the means of hearing the gospel, the means of grace to confirm us in our faith in Christ. God has promised the ongoing pardon of our sins, daily tender mercies crowning the year with good things, redeeming our life from destruction, and preserving us unto his heavenly kingdom. Let us trust in his promises, and let us, in thankful acknowledgement of all of his mercies, learn to praise God, to open our lips, to sing aloud of his righteousness, and to show forth all his praise. Question 98 of our shorter catechism, what is prayer? The answer comes back concerning the nature of prayer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies.